0: I'm going to take a break this morning from the Gospel of John and from John chapter 7 because next week is our in-gathering offering for Lottie Moon. Lottie Moon, of course, I'm referring to the offering that we as Southern Baptists take up every year during the Christmas season for the support of our international missionaries and the support of our International Missions Board. Uh, The video that we just watched is just one example of uh, the kind of work that is being done uh, through the money uh, that is given to Lottie Moon primarily. Uh, The biggest part of the budget of the International Missions Board comes from what is given each year with the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. Next Sunday, uh, we're going to be uh, having our walk to the manger, we call it, to do that. I hope that you will come prepared and ready and give because you want to. Our goal is $31,000. We have reached our goal every year that I know of, thank the Lord and praise the Lord, and Thanks to his giving through you. Last year we took up about forty eight thousand dollars for Lottie Moon. A hundred percent of that goes to the International Missions Board and to the support of our international missionaries. And the first thing that this gentleman said in the video was that he was a church planner in Mexico. That's really what missions is. Missions is beyond evangelism, evangelism being the sharing of the good news of Jesus with other people towards the end of seeing them come to faith in Christ. Missions is beyond ministries of mercy which may be meeting needs that people have, physical needs that people have in an effort to introduce them to Jesus. But missions is beyond both of those things and the thing that sets apart missions as really being missions is the aim of it is to plant churches. Not just to reach people, but to plant churches in areas where there are no churches or in areas where there there aren't enough churches. In particular, the work that our International Missions Board does now emphasizes reaching the places and the peoples in the world that have the least access or the least exposure to the gospel. And that only makes sense in our day, in which the funds are limited. That the the biggest part of the funds for international missions work would be spent in areas where the gospel is least known and where the church is uh, the least prominent. So again, I encourage you to pray and to give and to do so next Sunday morning if you're here. Also remember that we'll be taking up the Lottie Moon Offering throughout the month of December. Uh, so if you're not going to be here next week or you won't be ready to give next week or able to give next week, uh, you'll have the opportunity to do so throughout the month. There are envelopes specially, especially for Lottie Moon. If you don't have one of those, you can get one of those. I think they're in the pews. If you don't find them there, you can get them probably in the church office. And if you still can't find one and you write a check, then just designate it down at the bottom for Lottie Moon. And it will go towards that. It's really one of the highlights of the year for us. When we get to talk about Lottie Moon, when we get to do the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, it's not something that we have to do, but something that we get to do. With next week being uh, the big Lottie Moon offering, you might guess that I would preach this morning on missions, or on giving, or on both missions and giving. And in a way, I am. But specifically, I'm going to talk with you this morning about passion. About passion. Because if we're passionate about the right things, If we're passionate about the right things, if we're passionate about the right person, we will emphasize missions. We will do missions. We will give to missions. And we will give generously and liberally and sacrificially. And if we are... Passionate about the right thing and the right person, we will be missionaries in some way. And we'll have an opportunity to give next week. Again, I I pray and I trust that you will. Now, I want to apologize. This probably means nothing to you, but uh 'm I'm an, I'm an expository preacher, at least I try to be an expository preacher. And that is so ingrained in me from a number of different sources that when I don't preach expositionally, then my conscience is going off just a little bit. So to satisfy my wounded conscience, let me apologize this morning that my message is not going to be uh, expositional in the truest sense of the word. instead, it's a very topical message, but I do promise to try to expose you to the, uh, to the real meaning of the many verses that I will allude to this morning in this topical message. I have a great fear that either my dad is located somewhere in here that I don't know about, or even worse, that my preaching professor is located somewhere in here that I don't know about. And I would sure hate for them to think that I preach topical messages all the time. Uh, If you don't know, uh, expositional preaching is preaching the Bible as it was inspired. Preaching it beginning in one passage and working your way through it book by book, verse by verse. Exposing the meaning of Scripture uh, from the Scripture So, I said all of that for no one's benefit but my own, but at least I feel better about it in my heart, okay? What is your passion? One of mine is expository preaching, by the way. What is your passion? What are your passions? What are you passionate about? Now, I know that you know that this is a church service, and because of that, your answer is likely to be what you know that I'm looking for, or what you know is the right answer to that question, which would be God. I'm passionate about God, I have passion for God. God is my passion. Or the right answer may be Jesus, the Son of God, our Savior. He is my passion. I'm passionate for Him. Or maybe your answer would be something like or include, I'm passionate about the things of God. And we would answer that again because we know that's the answer that I'm looking for. And most of us know that that's the right answer. But just because you know the right answer... Just because you give the right answer doesn't mean it's the case in your life or mine that our passion is God. That we're passionate about God who has revealed Himself in the person of Jesus Christ. I want us to examine the word passion itself. And more importantly, I want us to examine God's Word to see if we have passion for God. If we really have passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. What is passion? What does the word passion mean? Well, I looked it up in a number of dictionaries and found definitions like this. Passion is defined in one dictionary as a strong and barely controllable emotion. Sounds pretty close to what we understand passion to be, don't we? A strong and barely controllable emotion. Another dictionary defined passion as any powerful or compelling emotion or feeling. In another place, I found the definition to be a strong liking or desire for something or some activity or some object or some concept. A strong devotion to some activity or object or concept. So, based on the definitions of the word passion, do you have a strong and barely controllable emotion for God? Now that makes most of us squirm just a little bit, doesn't it? Do you have a powerful or compelling emotion or feeling for Christ Jesus? Do you have a strong liking Or desire for God? Do you have a strong devotion to God? Or to the Lord Jesus Christ? These definitions might help us to answer those questions that I asked earlier. Those questions being, what is your passion? What are you passionate about? So... What do you have a strong and barely controllable emotion for? What do you have a powerful or compelling emotion or feeling for? What do you have a strong liking or desire for? What do you have a strong devotion to? Right off the bat, one thing pops into my mind. Do you have passion for football? For many of us, we can answer that question with a strong, affirmative yes without giving it a second thought, can we? Can't we? I mean, we don't even have to consider it. Without reservation, we can say, yes! What does it mean about us when we can very quickly answer that we have this kind of passion for football? Even with the definitions that I gave applying, and we can't as confidently answer that we have a passion like that for God. I heard some a preacher say one time, if you can't say amen, say oh me. Do you have a passion for politics? Some of you do. A lot of folks on Facebook do. Do you have a passion for the economy? Some people could answer real quickly, yes. And if they wouldn't answer yes, other people that know them real well would answer yes for them. Do you have a passion for money? Do you have a passion for your family? Well, most of us can answer, yes. I have a strong and barely controllable emotion for my family. Let's take it a step further on that idea of family. Parents, do you have a passion for your children? I'm not a crier. Cheryl is. But now something has happened to me over the years that will make me cry, and I can't explain it. It's my kids. And I'm unfamiliar with this feeling that wells up inside of me. And I can't contain it. It bursts forth in little tears. And no matter how I try to fight it off, it's there. And it's an indication that I have a passion for them. Most of us without blinking an eye could answer, I have passion for my kids. I have passion for my family. I have a... Strong and barely controllable emotion for them. A powerful and compelling emotion or feeling for them. I have a strong liking and desire for them. A strong devotion to them. Do you have a passion for Christmas? My goodness, many of you do. You already have your Christmas decorations up, and it's not even the month of Christmas yet. Some of you already have all of your Christmas shopping done. Speaking of shopping, do you have a passion for shopping? If you were one of those nutcases, and I use that in the most affectionate sense of the word, that was out battling folks Thursday night into the wee hours of the morning, Friday morning and early Friday morning and all day Friday and into the night on Friday. I'd say you have a passion for shopping and maybe a passion for Christmas. And maybe a passion for Christmas shopping. i just pray that it wasn't any of you that I saw on those horror videos of Black Friday. Please tell me it wasn't one of you that stole that toy from that kid in Walmart and stiff-armed him like the guy on the Heisman Trophy. Do you have a passion for hunting? For fishing? For your job? For your school? Do you have a passion for attention? Do you have a passion for golf? When I first started playing golf, I would go play around 25 or 30 minutes from where we were, it was the nearest golf course. I'd come home and I would think, man I wish I'd played longer and several times I'd drive back and play again. The first house Cheryl and I lived in had permanent marks on the ceiling where I'd practice swinging my driver in there and every once in a while I'd catch it on on the backswing or on the follow through. Do you have a passion for the beach, for TV, for movies, for music? Do you have a passion for your friends? Do you have a passion for having fun? Now listen to me. I'm not telling you that having a passion for some of these things is wrong. But here's the big question. Do you have more passion for God... Or one of these things? Or some of these things? Do you have more passion for God or for something else? Do you have more passion for God or for anything else? Do you have a stronger and more barely controllable emotion for God? Or something or some things else do you have a more powerful or compelling emotion or feeling for God or other things? Do you have a stronger liking and desire for God or something else? Do you have a stronger devotion to God or other things? If our passion for other things or another thing or anything else, Is greater than our passion for God, or for that matter, if it's even in the same ballpark with our passion for God. Brothers and sisters, Houston, we have a problem. And that's my point today. We have a problem. I have a problem. Is there anybody else that can uh, commiserate with me in my misery this morning and confess, I have a problem? Most of us have more passion for other things than we do for God. Truth be told the compassion the comparison of our passion levels between god and whatever else we have passion for may not be all that close it may be a blowout in the wrong direction and for some there might be no passion for god or for the things of god at all and that's a big problem it's the worst of all problems So what does the Bible say about passion for God? A lot, actually, and particularly it has a lot to say about it in the the Psalms, which makes sense since they're songs and are so full of the gamut of, of human emotions. Here's a sample of what the Bible says from Psalms and a couple of other passages as well. Turn with me to the 42nd Psalm. Psalm 42. When I start reading it, when you look at it, you'll recognize it. As a deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God. Those are verses about passion. A deer that's been running for its life has a passion for water. Do you long for God? Do you pant for God? Do you thirst within your inner man or inner person for the Lord Jesus? Do you think about when can I be with God again? When can I talk with God again? When can I have God speak to me through His Word again? When can I be before our God with the people of God again? How soon is it going to get here? Do you count down the days? The hours, the minutes, to times like that. Verse 3 says, My tears have been my food night and day, while all day long people say to me, Where is your God? Now remember this as I pour out my heart, how I walked with many, leading the festive procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. Why am I so depressed? Why this turmoil within me? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise Him, my Savior and my God. I am deeply depressed. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your billows have swept over me. The Lord will send His faithful love by day. His song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to my God, to my rock, Why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? My adversaries taunt me as if crushing my bones, while all day long they say to me, Where is your God? Why am I so depressed? Why this turmoil within me? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise Him my Savior and my God. Do you have passion for God that is such a passion that would lead you even in the darkest times of your life, even in the most depressed state of your soul and your mind that you can say, even now I will still praise Him for He is my rock and there is no other. Flip over to Psalm 63. Psalm 63, verse 1. It says, God, You are my God. I eagerly seek You. That's about passion. Do you seek God? I'm not just talking about today. How about tomorrow? Will you be seeking God tomorrow? Thursday? Will you be seeking God? Do you eagerly seek God? Did you eagerly come here this morning? Or reluctantly come here this morning? I mean, either way, I'm glad you're here. Don't get me wrong. I thirst for you. From Psalm 42 I ask, and I will again hear, do you thirst for God? Are you hungry for God and for the things of God? My body faints for you. Anybody feel like they were going to have a heart attack yesterday afternoon between 2.30 and 6 o'clock? Now some of you didn't. And that means you're not passionate about football, at least that football game. Some of us, if we're honest, 12 or 13 times a year. Our chest is constricting and we're wondering if we need to go to the ER. We're appreciating that one double A team that we played the week before and blew them out when we didn't have to have a heart attack. How long has it been since you felt that way about God? Where you were so caught up in the things of God that it it overwhelmed you. Where it it tensed you up in a a good sort of way. That's really what he's getting, getting at here. I faint for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary. Do you gaze on God? Do you look at the things of God to see your strength and your glory? Are you looking for the strength of God? Are you concerned with the glory of God? Are you paying attention to the glory of God? Is that really what your focus is in your life? This is all about passion. My lips will glorify you. Do you talk about God? What a shame it would have been if we talked about football more in our Sunday school classes this morning than we did about God. Do you glorify? Look, we glorify things with our lips. We do. And again, it's not that doing that is necessarily wrong. There's something wrong when we talk more about other things than we do about Jesus. My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. Do you feel that way? The faithful love of God for me in Christ Jesus and the salvation that He's given to me through Him is better than life itself. That if I can't have Jesus, then I just don't want to live. The sad truth is that for most people who would classify themselves as Christians, they could go on living in the same way that they live without Jesus. So I will praise You as long as I live. At Your name, I will lift up my hands. There are lots of other things that will make us lift up our hands. And sometimes we lift them up violently and we lift them up strongly and unashamedly. And we clap and we high-five. There are all sorts of things. But have you ever had God move you in such a way that you just lift up your hands to Him and you give people high-fives for God? I, I don't see that. And there's, I'm not wanting to turn us into a bunch of Pentecostals. But if, if we can do that when it comes to other things, and we don't do that when it comes to God, what does that say? That our passion for those other things is greater. That's the only conclusion that you can come to. At Your name, I will lift up my hands. I will clap my hands. I will give a fifth pump. Hey, if you feel it, like, give somebody a high five for the glory of God. It's God if, if we can give it to somebody else, God deserves it. I'm convinced that in the Old Testament, they worship much more physically than most of us do. I mean, it was a total thing. It was with their mind, and it was with their heart, and it was with their bodies, and it was with, with everything that they were. And some of you are really getting nervous about this point, thinking, I'm wanting us to get out of control. No, we'd have to get out of a coma before we got out of control. Look at verses 6 through 8. When I think of you as a on my bed... I meditate on you during the night watches. Do you think about God? When you go to sleep at night, when you wake up in the morning, do you meditate on God? Because you are my helper, I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings. I follow close to you. Your right hand holds on to me. Do you, do you follow close to God? Really? Is, is that what we're thinking about? When we go out of here, then I'm, I'm going to follow after God and not just follow from a distance, but follow closely. All of this is about passion. On and on I could go, I could read other psalms. Psalm 73 speaks about the same thing. Psalm 84 speaks about similar things. Uh, There's a passage in Isaiah chapter 26 that, that speaks about very similar things. What a passion for God means. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm fast forwarding. And the reason I'm fast-forwarding is because our passion for God is limited to a certain amount of time on Sunday mornings. Now you say, no, it's not. Oh, yeah, it is. I could preach a whole lot longer than I do. Brother, you better believe that. I could. We could go right on to Sunday night. I'm an overtime preacher. Verse 24, 1 Corinthians 9. Don't you know that runners, the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize, run in such a way to win the prize? Is that the way you're running for the Lord? Am I the only one that would have to confess that most of the time I'm just running? I'm just in the race, but I'm not running to win. And that's a shame because I've already told you numerous times i mean I'm competitive uh, You may meet people that are as competitive you but you won't meet anybody that's any more competitive than than i am i if I do it, i want to win, and mainly I don't want to lose. but how is it that I can be that way with so many other things? And then not be running to win all the time in the race that counts. How is it that that can be that way with you? Could you say this morning that, hey, I'm in the race and I'm running sometimes, but I'm not running to win. And yet it says clearly here, we're to run to win. Verse 25 says, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything, however they do it, to receive a crown that will fade away. We we run to win in a lot of other things in life, but the things we're running to win are things that won't last. Things that in the, the grand scheme of things don't really matter. Why then would we not run to win in the race and as a part of the thing that will last and that does matter? So based on... These verses, these passages, or those like them, how would you answer this question? Do you have more passion for God or something else? You know, passion and love are closely related. In fact, one of the definitions that I looked up for passion spoke of it as being a a strong, barely controllable emotion or feeling for something. And it says, typically in relation to love or anger. So, Passion and love are, are connected. And what that means is that we will be passionate about who we love. We will be passionate about what we love. And therefore, it goes on to mean that if we don't have passion for something, it's because we don't love it. We don't really love it. So I had a whole bunch of verses. not a whole bunch. Six or seven, five or six that I was going to show you about love. But but I'll reduce it to one for the sake of time. Look at Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Verse 34. It says, When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. We've been seeing them do the same things in uh, uh, John 7. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? Jesus responded to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Because passion and love are so closely connected, I'm going to ask you, do you love God with all your heart? Do you love God with all your soul? Do you love God with all your mind? Do you love God with all your strength? Do you have a passion for God in your mind? Do you have a passion for God in your body? Do you have a passion for God in your soul? For this is the greatest and most important command... Verse 39 says the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. If we love God, if we have a passion for God, we're going to love our neighbors. And if you're wondering who your neighbor is, refer back to the Good Samaritan. Your neighbor is whoever you come across. And more than figuring out who your neighbor is, what that that story teaches us is that we are to be neighborly to everyone. If we have a passion and love for God, we're going to have a passion and love for our fellow man. If this is what loving God is, and in other passages it talks about you can't love God and you can't love money, where you put your treasure is where your heart really is, Matthew 10, Jesus says, If you love your family, your children, your husband or wife more than me, you're not worthy of me. Luke states it even more harshly. If you don't hate your family, your husband, your wife, your children. That is, if, if what you feel for them doesn't seem as hatred in comparison to your so much greater love for Christ, you're not worthy of me. John 14 says, if you love Me, you'll keep My commandments. 1 John chapter 2 says, don't love the world or the things of the, the world, for if you do, the love of God's not in you. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18 says that we're not to love with our words only, but we're to love with our deeds and our actions. So, so based on all of these passages about love, Which is so closely connected to passion. How would you answer our question? Do you have passion for God? Do you have more passion for God or other things? If your passion, if your love for something else, anything else, is more than your love or your passion for God, what does that say about you? What does that mean? It can't be good, can it? And it's not. So maybe you're like me this morning and you're you're acknowledging you're confessing, you're uh, admitting that I have a problem here, and so you you ask the question, what do I do? What do I do if, if my passion for God is not what it should be? If my passion for other things is greater, what do I do? Well, to start with, pray. Pray. Ask God for forgiveness. Repent. Ask God to give you the power to, to turn from that in your life. Pray that God would change you and change your passion. Pray that God would give you an increased love for Himself and His Son that would lead to real passion for Him and for the things of God. Seek God. Seek God. Keep seeking God. Keep asking. Keep knocking. Keep seeking with faith that God will give what you seek. Look to Jesus Look to who He is and what He's done. Think about the Gospel. Read about the Gospel. Listen to the Gospel. Let it help you to fall in love with Jesus again, afresh and anew, or maybe for the first time and from that passion will flow. Read the Word of God. Study it. Worship. Worship as an individual. Worship with the people of God. Fellowship with the people of God in small groups and a bigger group like this. Give. Give next week. Obey. And keep obeying. Witness. Share with others the good news of Christ. What I'm saying is, if we're wondering what to do, do the things that will make you love God more. Now, I know that these things that I've just mentioned ultimately result from love. But I would also submit to you that these things that I've mentioned will cause you to love God more. Don't wait until you have the feeling. Do it. And what starts out as a... I've heard David say this or something like it before. What starts out as a discipline in your life will become a a devotion of your life. What starts out as you're doing it because you have to will become you're doing it because you want to. And let's all pray for others who have no passion for God, who don't care about passion for God, who don't care that they have no passion for God. Let's pray for others who aren't aware that their passion for God falls far short. Brothers and sisters, let's pray for revival. A revival of passion. I've mentioned it before, Glenn has mentioned it when we've sung it before, that I love the hymn, Revive Us Again. I especially love one of the latter verses, a part of which says, Revive us again, fill each heart with thy love, may each soul be rekindled with fire, with passion from above. Let's pray like Isaiah did in Isaiah 64.1. God, if only You would tear the heavens open and come down so that the mountains would quake at Your presence. And I would add, so that we would be passionate for You, God. For You, Christ Jesus. Above everything else, like there is nothing else, God, give us passion for You. Let's seek it today. Let's demonstrate it today. Let's do it next week when it comes time to worship, and especially when the time comes to give to the work of international missions. Let's do it this month as we continue to emphasize that. And let's continue to seek passion for God until we have it. Amen? Would you stand with me and bow your heads and close your eyes?